Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. We will celebrate 20 years of marriage on Wednesday, and so very thankful for that. And so when, thank you. When we got married, my name's Michael, her name's Mindy, so we started having children, and we went with that, uh, you know, cheesy idea, we'll just name all of our kids with an M, and so my oldest daughter, Molly, is here, and she's 18, getting ready to graduate in a few days, head off to college, and so we have Molly, and then I have Matthew, uh, Macy, Mary, and we wanted to give a good Bible name to my youngest son, so we named him Maher Shalahashbaz, but we just call him Mark for short, and uh, sure do... Uh, appreciate my family. I wish all of them could have been here today. If you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, I hope that you brought your Bible to church today, turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, please. 1 Kings chapter 8, and we'll get into the text this morning, and just want to share some simple thoughts with you. And, um, you know, I know I rattled uh, Brother Delaney's cage a little bit about the brief comment, uh, but I'm going to take all the time that I have been given today and try and use that completely. Uh, I just felt at the banquet, uh, you guys came to eat and fellowship a little bit, not hear me go on and on and on. So, uh, but 1 Kings chapter 8, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. Can we do that? Read verses 1 through 11. I love to hear the rustling of the pages. I know we live in a kind of technological society. I know a lot of people bring their iPads and their phones and that kind of thing, but I Heard a preacher say not too long ago, and I like it, I kind of I stole it. He said, I'd, like to, I'd rather have a Bible you can open up than one you have to charge up. And I thought that was pretty good. So if uh, you have your text there, let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast of the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. Even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen, That could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto its place, unto his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves, and the ends of the staves were seen out of the holy place before the oracle. And they were not seen without, and there they are unto this day. There was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I do thank you again for this great church and this great ministry here. Thank you for the small part that I've been able to be of it, and I just pray that it would continue uh, for your glory and move forward, building on the foundation that has been laid over these last 125 years. And again, we thank you for this day and what it signifies, and uh, we just pray that you would use it today. If somebody's here and they're not saved, I pray they would get saved. 
For those that know you, I pray that our lives will be strengthened. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, many of you have heard of or you have been to the Hearst Castle. How many of you have been to the Hearst Castle? You know, we lived here for a while and never got up there. I know many of you told me we should, and we, we didn't, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, it was, of course, it was owned by William Randolph Hearst, the, the uh, newspaper uh, magnet. So uh, some might be saying, what is a newspaper? Well, years ago, before uh, Al Gore invented the Internet, you could make a lot of money on those things, apparently, because William Randolph Hearst was extremely wealthy, and he built that castle. But what you may not know, maybe many of you do know, is that uh, William Randolph Hearst also owned a mansion three blocks from Sunset Boulevard. And it was once uh, labeled, I don't know if it still is, but it was labeled the most expensive private home in the United States. It was valued at $165 million. And I think a couple of years ago it was on sale at a bargain price, $95 million. So if you're interested, it's, it's out there. It has 29 bedrooms, it has three swimming pools, it has several tennis courts, a movie theater, it has a nightclub in the house, and three other houses on property. No wonder JFK honeymooned at this house when he got married. But in this text, we find that David could kind of relate to that a little bit. Remember, David was the king of Israel. David had great, uh, you know, splendor in and of himself, and he had a, a burden on his heart. Because his brainchild was not a castle to himself. His brainchild was not his own mansion. It was really the temple of the Lord. In fact, you'll remember in the Bible he said this, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. He said, God is living in a tent while I'm living in a mansion. I'm living in a palace. And so you might know the story. He wanted to build the temple. God did not allow for it and said that your son will be able to build that temple. And after seven years of construction, Solomon, with great magnificence, built the temple of God. And that's where we pick up in our reading. They are at a ceremony where they are dedicating the temple of the Lord. They're dedicating it in a ceremony together. So what we've just read is understand this. The temple has been built. And by the way, if you think Hearst's castle was great or his mansion is fantastic, just take into consideration the over $20 million of gold overlay in the Holy of Holies alone. So, I mean, the temple was incredible to behold. But the culminating experience when they're dedicating the temple is when they bring this little box in called the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe you've heard of that. And the Ark of the Covenant was a very, very special symbol. It, it, it symbolized the authority of God, and it, it symbolized the presence of God. And so here they're bringing this, this box. It wasn't very large, just several feet long and a couple feet wide. And they're bringing in this box that symbolizes the presence of God. And I just love to come to a scripture and just use my imagination a little bit. I wonder how many of you would love to have been a fly on the wall in the temple on this day. And I, I mean, the people were celebrating, they were exciting, and they were happy, and, and they're bringing this box in, and that's what we read. But, but my question or, or my statement for you today is, really, we don't have a temple here, we're not celebrating the construction of a building, because we would believe, like New Testament theology, that the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, the Holy Spirit of God resides in each one of us that profess Him as Savior and know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we understand that according to the New Testament. 
But, but, and we would maybe say in our vernacular this day that the church is really not made of brick and mortar. We, we, we often say that. So sometimes we, we know what we mean when we say, hey, I'm going down to the church. We understand we're saying we're going to the church building, and I'm not attacking that kind of language, but, but look around the room for just a minute. All of these people in here, that's the church because the Lord dwells in, in his people. But that being said, uh, just as they celebrated by dedicating this building to the Lord, what we are doing this weekend is we are celebrating by commemorating uh, this ministry to the Lord. So the word commemorates a little bit different than dedicate. It just means to mark or observe by some form of ceremony. And, and really, that's what we've done. We started out with a, with a banquet, and, and yesterday we had the ceremony of, of cutting the... Didn't you feel bad for Brother Sal as he's trying to get that out? And Brother Delaney's like, come on, man! You know, and, he's, and we finally got that out, and we're looking at that, and we're, we're commemorating. We're, we're celebrating all of this. And so I want to take from this text this morning, I want to just give you in the minutes that I have... I, I want to, Man, that's an upgrade on that clock up there, man. That is, I saw that. Wow. That wasn't there when I was here. <laughs> He really does preach long, doesn't he? The deacons bought that, yeah. Come on, dude. All right. Well, this morning, I want to give you, in the few minutes I have left, does it start clicking down when you're, okay, all right. All right, four ways to commemorate this ministry. All right, number one. Number one, commemorate by reminiscing. Commemorate by reminiscing. What happens in this text is some sacred memories were recalled. I want you to direct your attention to verse 4. It says, They brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels, and I've marked this in my Bible, that were in the tabernacle. So, so they, they take these three items, the ark. Okay, so there are a lot of memories involved with that ark, right? I mean, do you remember, uh, as you remember your Bible study, you remember what you're reading in your Bible, do you remember when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant? I mean, they've got it now, and remember, it's symbolic of the presence of God, and so they've got it, and, and, and man, the, the, the Israelites are all upset about that, and then God plagues them with mice and, and with some disease, and, and do you remember when the Ark came back, how excited they were? And so they see this, and they're reminiscing, the, as they look at that, that box, they're reminiscing about some of the things that the Lord did. Uh, then it says they, they brought in, did you notice it says that they're bringing in the tabernacle? So what was the tabernacle? Remember, it was just a tent. And so they've got this old, worn-out tent. I'm sure it smelled kind of musty like fabric wood. And, and, and they're bringing it, and, and they remember these things. Some, some remember putting it up and taking it down and moving it and, and what all went out. There were some memories that went there. And it says they also had these holy vessels and so you imagine the candlestick. You remember the thing about the candlestick? I think sometimes we erroneously think it's like a menorah today, like a, a family would have in their home. No, the candlestick was kind of big. It was, it was very large. And, and, and I was thinking about what, what would be going through a kid's mind when they see that candlestick being brought back? Because I don't know how you are. Maybe some of you that grew up at First Baptist, do you remember how massive this building must have looked to you when you were five years old? I mean, you talk about, I think everybody, that every church brat that's grown up in church knows what it's like to play hide-and-seek in a church building. Could you, playing hide-and-seek in this church building would first of all be awesome. You could get lost for days and nobody would find you. And then that would be creepy, man. I mean, you know, that would be really scary in here sometimes. But, I, I mean, you think they see that candlestick and maybe they're an adult now and they're thinking, man, that thing's not as big as I remember. And, and, and all of these things are going through their mind. So wonderful associations were made with each item. And so Solomon, in the whole chapter, he makes a grateful acknowledgement of the past. And I, I won't belabor this, but he, he talks in verse 24 of God's goodness to his father. 
He starts thinking about David and, and how good God was to his dad. I can testify to that a little bit. I was just thinking about that as I was meditating on this. I'm thankful that my dad got saved. My dad got saved in a little storefront church in northern Kentucky. And he said literally there was a brewery across the street. And that little storefront building they had didn't have any air conditioning. So they'd raise the windows. And while he was sitting there listening to the gospel he preached, he could smell the waft of beer drafting in the windows. And that's how he got saved. I'm thankful for the goodness that God has shown to my family. And Solomon celebrated that. I'm thankful that Solomon celebrated in verse 51 God's deliverance from bondage. If you study the Old Testament, you're going to find over and over and over again they talked about the Exodus. They talked about the, the redemption story. They talked about the Day of Atonement. They, they talked about that over and over again. And then in verse 53, he, he celebrates God's call to service. I guess what I'm telling you this morning is I just, I just believe we ought to reminisce a little bit. You, you know it's a dangerous thing to live in the past. We cannot live in the past. <laughs> Nobody said amen, but I want to say that again. You cannot live in the past. You can't. You've got to take the past and build on it. But it's good sometimes to walk down memory's lane. Brother Wilkerson did that a little bit last night. He started telling his story a little bit and, and how the church called him. And I, I began thinking about that. And may, let, let me reminisce a little bit. I was 27 when I started pastoring. And God took a handful of people in a tiny little town, 15,000 people in North Carolina, about 100 people, 125 people in that church. And in, in, in almost 10 years' time, we grew to over 600 people. It was, it was wonderful. I was minding my own business in this tiny little town. And Bob Eggy called me too. <laughs> and, and by the way, can I say this publicly? I thank God for the Eggies. You know, these, the Eggies have stayed by the stuff through some difficult times in this church and have been a constant faithful Amen. pillar. And I'm very, very thankful for their testimony. And Brother Bob, I remember you telling me one time right out here in the breezeway, God's just never told me to go anywhere. And until God tells me to go anywhere, I'm staying right here. And I thought, well, praise the Lord. But Brother Eggie called me. I was minding my own business, doing my own thing, tending my own sheepfold. And I'm going to tell you, I, 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 I never really in my life struggled with doing the will of God. If God wanted me to do it, I wanted to do it. But God wanted me to come here, and I struggled with that. I struggled with it deeply. But God impressed upon me very clearly that that's what he wanted me to do. But I felt like Abraham when I was coming out here for a lot of reasons. God said go, so I loaded up my family, and we're moving out here, driving almost 2,500 miles to get here. I'm driving down the interstate thinking, what am I going to do? Because I was in contact with David Palmer, and I haven't been able to see you yet, but I see you now. And David Palmer was trying to help us find a house. And I was moving my family 2,500 miles away, and I had no house to live in. I felt like Abraham. He kept telling me, I mean, I would call him when we stopped fill up gas. He said, don't worry, we'll find you something. I'm like, what do you mean, don't worry, we'll find you something? I don't want to live in a suburban with five kids. I, I don't want to do that. And and so we got out here and, and uh, we, we arrived and he said, well, we, we're going to go look at a house this weekend. He said, but the guy's real nervous because you got five kids. We're going to move into a 1,500 square foot house roughly with five kids. I understand why that'd make him nervous. He said he wants to meet with you and your family tomorrow uh, to, to see if uh, he, he'll rent you the house. And he said, and he wants you to bring your kids. Well, I knew what that meant. Man, we're driving over to look at this house. I was telling my kids, you better behave. 
I mean, if that man says something to you, you say, yes, sir. You say, no, sir. I don't want any monkeying around. If you, and I turn around, I look down, I said, unless you all want to live in a cardboard box, you will straighten up. And I'm thankful they behaved and they rented us that house. I should have known that was the beginning of a great, great adventure. And I want to just tell you, there's so many stories that I could tell you about the few years that I was here with you. But I can honestly say this trip has allowed me to reminisce a little. It's allowed me to remember how much many of you have loved my family and how much we have loved you. And I'm very thankful for that. They commemorated this great event by reminiscing. Number two, they commemorated, and I talked a little bit about this on Friday night, they commemorated by rejoicing, by rejoicing. So as the glory of God filled the house, the priests praised God with their voices and with instruments. In fact, Psalm 22.3 reflects this, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Can I tell you that I, I won't stay long on this particular thought, but, but I want you to know this morning that there is nothing quite like hearing God's people singing God's praises. And, and, and I want to again testify a little bit this morning uh, when, when I was here, there were some difficult experiences for me and some things that God built a man. And God, a lot of times, you've got to understand that, that God is not just building a ministry. He is oftentimes building a man. And I'm thankful for how the Lord really worked in my heart here and challenged me and shaped me and helped me in a lot of ways. But there would be a number of services where I personally would be struggling. And you know, as a pastor, you, you can't walk up and you can't, you can't stand here and go, well, it's Sunday, and I guess this is my job, so take your Bible anyway. You, know, I mean, you can't do that, right? But there were some days that I would try and mask it, but I, I would feel it. And I would sit right over here in the chair that I normally would sit, and we would stand to sing. Can I tell you that that was so therapeutic to me, so therapeutic to see people of all different shades of colors, all different languages, many, many English is not the first language, and, and to just belt out praises to God because we might have different food choices. And man, praise God for the food choices. <laughs> I, I, I've had Indian food. I, I've had, we, after, after service last night, I went out and got some tacos. Amen. And uh, I've already had an In-N-Out burger. And uh, man, we're going to have Korean food today. And man, there's a couple places I want to get in on the last 24 hours we've got. But, but, man, I'm telling you, there are different cultures and languages and food choices and backgrounds, but, but what brought us all together was the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and I was constantly reminded, constantly reminded, that every Sunday morning, First Baptist Church gets to experience something that many, many places don't get to experience. And you say, what is that? A little bit of heaven on earth. Because the Bible says that there are going to be many nations and many tongues that are represented in heaven someday. And we got to see a little bit of that every single Sunday. 
And boy, I'm telling you, the rejoicing of God. Nobody does missions conference like First Baptist Church. Nobody. Remember we'd have that international banquet? I'll tell you, there, I don't want to offend anybody, but there are a few, tables, a few places I'm glad my plate was already full. Like, oh, thanks, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one of the last missions conferences I was here, I was, I was, kind, of, I was kind of offended and embarrassed by Jason Homestead. I'm just going to tell you. He was in charge of the American table. And when I went by the American table, there were hot dogs, macaroni and cheese, and donuts. Thanks for representing America. But then he looked at me and he goes, you notice they're all gone. I was like, oh, yes. You know? Don't you love to get together with God's people and rejoice? Sing. Oh, to sing. The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God. That's why it is so wonderful we could sing these songs this weekend. To God be the glory, great things he hath done, no question. Let me give you the third thought. Commemorate by rehearsing. The Ark of the Covenant was the only piece of furniture that was kept in active service. And the only thing that was kept in the Ark was the law of God. Some people have compared this verse to Hebrews. I don't want to get sidetracked, but in Hebrews it talks about there were three things in the Ark. And here it says there was only one thing in the Ark. And the answer to that seemingly contradiction is just the chronology of things. Hebrews is referencing it to at its very inception when it began and this is 500 years later when they're dedicating the temple and in it is only the, 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 table, the, the tablets of the law of God. You see, over time, the ark had lost its significance in the eyes of the people. I mentioned that the Philistines had, had uh, taken that ark. And do you remember when they brought it back and the Israelites put it on the new cart? You remember Uzzah touches it and God strikes him dead? I mean, a lot of, a lot of history that goes in there. But here, here's the point that I want to bring out to you this morning is at this time, when it's being brought in, at this time, uh, that truth had a lot of ways in Israel been, placed with, been replaced with superstition. I mean, that's how they lost the ark. They thought, well, we can't be beat when we have the ark, and so let's send the ark out there. And they got superstitious about that little box instead of trusting God. And so by bringing this back in, they were, they were kind of dedicating a recommitment. The only thing that's in this box, it's not the superstition of Aaron's rod. It's not the superstitious worship of that pot of, of manna. The only thing that's in that box is the law of God. And they're recommitting themselves to the truth. And can I just emphasize this this morning is that this place should be a place where the truth is rehearsed regularly. Listen, we wanted to take care of this building because what a treasure you have been given right in the heart of the downtown. I mean, the property and the facilities that you have. And we want this building to be a reflection of the greatness of our God. And we, we regularly have ordinances where we remember uh, the grace of our God. And, and our service as we serve Him in this place, running buses, knocking doors, singing in choirs, and preaching His Word, reflects our gratefulness to our God. And we just need to remember, and this weekend ought to be a re commitment to the truth of God that brings us together, that keeps us together, and will propel the blessings of God in our future. I said this when I was pastor here, and I mean it. I don't know what the future holds here for you, uh, uh, but I often rehearsed the fact while I was here that I was thrilled that there was a lighthouse on the corner of 10th and Pine 
sharing the light of God's word to anybody who would listen. We just, we've got to remember that. We've got to remember that. So I want to leave you with one final thought. We need to commemorate by requesting. You see, what made the temple the house of the Lord was the presence of the Lord. It, it, to have that magnificent temple building without God there would be like having a beautiful car with no engine. And you, you can celebrate how nice it looks and how the interior is so comfortable. It doesn't have an engine. It's not going anywhere. And if we don't have the Spirit of the Lord in this place, if we don't have the presence of God in this place, they're not going anywhere. And remember, the ark was not the presence of God. It just simply symbolized the presence of God. So most of this chapter, we didn't read it all, but most of this chapter is a prayer by Solomon that's offered to God, that's requesting God's presence. Again, I, I think sometimes, sometimes churches can get into the trap of just living in the past. Oh, do, you, do you remember when we were running this many and now we're only running this many? Do you remember when so-and-so was our pastor? We, we, we can't live there. Because uh, I think it was pointed out by Brother Wilkerson, each pastor is different, each pastor has its own personality, and God uses each man for each season, and, and I think we look back on the history here, I, I mean, man, just the men that are represented this weekend, I mean, personally, uh, I know that uh, I built on a foundation of Brother Wilkerson, and I'm thankful for that. I was never intimidated or bothered by that. I was never intimidated by your love for him. You should love Brother Wilkerson very much. He came in a very difficult time and did a very difficult thing and he loved you through it and not just survived, you even thrived. And it was great. I believe God brought me here for a certain season to do a certain task. I don't always know everything about what the Lord, but I have some ideas about why God brought me here and how God used me in the time I was here. And I'm thankful. I'm so thankful Brother Delaney and his family are here. I, I know that he loves being here. I know that he loves you. And I'm very, very thankful that he's here. And I pray for him. And uh, I support him. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. But, but again, if God lets him pastor here for 30 years and he tarries his coming, somebody else is going to step in his place. And the one constant that has to be here is not who the pastor is in the pulpit. Not what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. The one constant that has to be here is the Lord. Amen. It has to be. And in fact, we know in the book of Revelation that the verse is often applied to salvation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open, I will enter unto him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. A lot of times we, we use that by application to salvation, and that's fine, but really the primary context there, if you look what's before and what's after, he's really addressing his churches, and, and you often read that, and you might want to think, why is God outside of his own church? And we know that God is omnipresent, he's everywhere, and I, I get that, I understand that. But do you understand what we're talking about is really some tangible manifestation and understanding that God is with us. And I don't know about you, there are some services I go in and, and, and it just, you know, we, we come in and we go out and, and I don't necessarily sense God was there. 
But I don't know about you, I have been in some services. I've been in some services here. I've been in services other places where it was just, I mean, you could visibly experience the fact that God was there and that he was meeting with you. And I want to tell you, I know every service when his book is open and his praises are sung, and I, I get that, that God's here. But, but I love those services when, man, man, God's presence, we sensed it and we knew it. And I think every time we ought to come in here, we ought to say, God, we, we, we want you here. We need you here. And I think this weekend ought to, yeah, let's reminisce and let's rejoice and uh, let, let's remember. But, but more than anything, let us all as a congregation request for the next 125 years if the Lord tarries is coming. The Lord Jesus Christ will always be welcome and he will always be here. See, this needs to be more than just an exciting day because we have been in existence for 125 years. This needs to be an exciting day because we have a place where God is welcome. So let me, I usually ask questions, but I knew this was kind of a, a Sunday school type platform a little bit. I know it has a more of a service feel to it, and I thank you for the liberty that I feel like I've had to to teach and preach. But, but I just want to throw out some statements rather than questions, okay? Statement number one is this. Thank God for the precious memories. Thank God for them. But I'd also like to tag on to that statement. Let's thank God in advance for new memories. Let's do that. My second statement is this. Let's be quick today to sing his praises. Let's be quick to do it. My third statement is this. Let's repeat the truth to anyone who will listen. And my fourth statement is this. Let's request the presence of God in each and every service that we can attend together. Thank you again publicly, Brother Delaney, for allowing me to come. Thank you. Thank you, congregation, for being so kind and so loving to me and my family. We love you, and we're thankful that we could have been a part for just a small time of this wonderful ministry.